On this episode of the Formula Phone Podcast, Eric and I discuss our seats at the United States Grand Prix. We debate whether or not Lewis Hamilton is in fact a drama queen or a king. And then we actually talk about the Russian Grand Prix. So if you're interested in any of those things, then uh, stick around. Be able, I gotta be able to read my notes this time. Awesome. So far, so good. Well, also, get you caught me in the middle of something. Guess what? You just caught me in the middle of reading some news, watching the no, buy my buy my U.S. Grand Prix. Tickets. Oh, please continue. That's it. I'm buying my U.S. Grand Prix uh, general admission grounds. Okay, so we need to do some research. I'm thinking on Reddit and like make a post on Reddit as guests, or I'm actually a member, uh, signed up, like username Reddit style. Um, <laughs> I've been on Reddit since like 2008. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, like make a post that's like, hey, we're going to the U.S. Grand Prix, like any advice, like... I know where I want to sit because I want to sit at that complex of corners that like mimics ma- mimics maggots and beckets, the fast left, right, left, right <laughs> complex that of little, corners. The little dub- the double chicane. Yeah. Um, but I don't know like how early do you get there? Where do you enter? Where do you line up? Like, do you bring chairs? You know, like there's so much to I, I, I learn think, about. I think, man. I think families and people with kids and stuff bring chairs to like it, it, pretend like it's like going to ACL. Like you wouldn't right. bring a blanket and a chair to ACL because we're going to be, we'll sit Walking down, we'll have around. chairs, but we'll be, it looks like there's about 10 different spots on the track that we're able to go to, to sit. For general um, admission. With, correct. Right. But which I like, which I like better than being tied to, you know, a, a seat, Seat seven, row S, and a bleacher. It might take a while to like move from place to place, though. So you may only be able to do like you know the the race is only like an hour and a half. So you might want like spend half an hour in one spot, twenty minutes walking to another spot, half an hour in another spot. You don't know. they have a bunch of don't they have a bunch of pre races and stuff before that? I'll probably make it just like an all day thing. Buy some. Not pre-races, but that you know, we should get there really early. That's what I'm saying is get there really early, shop around for merch and stuff. They have all kinds of cool stuff, like you can put a wheel on a car like and the, stuff. I thought they had like the 1940s cars go around, and they had like oh, an, no, another. Not that they no. uh, they do have. I wonder is Formula Two on Sunday? Oh, that would be sweet. That would be cool to see. Yeah. Usually, it's the day before, isn't it? Yeah, no, Formula 2 is on Saturday. That's right. It's right after qualifying. Yeah, it goes qualifying and then Formula 2. So Sunday is just Formula 1. I'm in for that if you want to come up for both days. 
Nah, too expensive. Qualifying would be cool to watch qualifying, but too expensive. Not as long a day, yeah. That's cool, though. Now you got tickets. But yeah, there was a race this weekend. Yes, there was. And a controversial one. Really, that's the whole story, is that it was, besides that, it really wasn't much of a race, honestly, besides the whole Ferrari uh it really, the whole beginning, really, yeah. the beginning and middle part of it just built up to end up being this like epic race. And then the, it just sort of, yeah, kind of fizzled out, copy paste itself. Yeah. Well, I thought that, um, ah, where do we begin? I mean, my thought after listening to other podcasts and reading a lot about the race and rewatching the race and thinking a lot about the strategy at the beginning, you know, I guess to break it down, essentially like what happened as, as I understand it is, and I guess we're getting right into the race, like just skipping qualifying who well, if, Charles well, Leclerc if, got if, pulled well, for nights, the night straight time well, if you want or whatever you want to if you want to pause for a second on qualifying, like after watching qualifying, I thought like, wow, like Ferrari's just got the better package right, right now. Like they are going to, for the first time ever, because if people don't know, like Mercedes has, I mean, Russian Grand Prix is right, new, right, this right. track is new, mm-hmm. but they've won every Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah. Every Russian Grand Prix. So right. I thought, I've seen it. I was like, okay, great. Like it's going to be another like Charles Seb or Seb Charles, mm-hmm. you know, one, two. Right. Um, yeah. But, yeah. 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 And uh, impressive by Lewis to to qualify second ahead of Sebastian. And I thought very lucky for Sebastian that Botas, if you go back to qualifying and look, Botas was set to out-qualify Sebastian on his final run, but had to abort his final lap. And so Sebastian yeah. was actually due to qualify fourth if Botas had a finished his final qualifying lap, but he had to abort. And so Sebastian kind which of actually, lucked into third. So it which, should have been well, Leclerc, no, oh, Hamilton, Botas, Vettel. And that bumped Max up to fourth, having him mm-hmm. having, having to abort his last lap as well. So makes A, Leclerc look even better that he was alone at the top in the Ferrari when Vettel kind of really only managed nominally third, but fourth best if Botas had finished his lap. And but then, this is nothing new. Char- Charles has out-qualified Vettel nine like times every in race. Ex- exactly. So that's nothing yeah, new. It's, France. It's, it's him yeah, finishing the job on race days is what's we've been waiting for well once again i mean once again the strategy just was like took the race away from like i i think what i what i was getting at earlier when i was like after doing all this reading and after rewatching the race and thinking about i think that what ferrari did the simplest way to put it was that it was it was a solution in search of a problem and and let me break down what they did again, just to make sure I understand it correctly and just for the listeners and everything again. like So at the beginning of the race, because Sebastian was in third and not second, he was starting behind Leclerc, not next to him, which meant that he could be towed all the way down the long, super, super, super long straight. That is 
the start finish straight and turn one, which is just a right hand kink. It's like barely a right hander into turn two. He used that toe to basically just slingshot around Charles, which is what they wanted. And then they were just going to switch him back. So that way and they, they, can... and they wanted and they wanted that to prevent Lewis from getting the toe. Basically right. they wanted to, they wanted to secure the team up at the front of the grid, you know? Right. Exactly. Yes. To right. switch them back. And so, but my biggest thing is that a, the Ferraris are faster in a straight line than the Mercedes anyway. And so you have to kind of, I think it's worth gambling that off the line and down that start finish straight, Charles is going to beat Hamilton because Hamilton's starting on the, the mediums, the mediums, as Paul DeResta would say. Because Mercedes, that's another interesting thing about qualifying is that, you know, Mercedes gambled and, and started on the mediums because they set their fastest time in Q2 on the mediums which right. plays into the race strategy, which is a huge deal because they that, that was just a massive part of the strategy later on in the race. Um, and so, man, just Leclerc starting on softs with the Ferrari engine down a long straight with Hamilton on the mediums behind him. I just feel like, like I said, it was a solution in search of a problem. I think in that case, you just let Leclerc go just let him go beat hamilton down to turn two you have to gamble that you're going to be faster than hamilton in that case especially over the case of the first few laps anyway but so but seb is sebastian's like reborn as a racing driver right now and he's he got a great start and does and he's shown that throughout his whole career that team orders come like secondary. Yeah, and if you, okay. you talk yeah. to people that watch the race and you talk to announcers, they'll say, Oh, team orders. We talk to racing drivers and they're like, you don't have to obey team orders. Like right. you can, like, you're I'm the, you're first, you're the, you're the guy racing. Exactly. Which is what we saw play out over the last, like over the first 15 laps or so we're basically there. I think it was lap. So, there was, so beginning of the race. Yeah. So let's get into out, the controversy, right? Yeah. Well, so I think either way, even if the, even if Fry would have said, "Okay, we're, this is our strategy. We're going to just race it from the front," you know, you know, Leclerc can defend against Vettel. Like we're just going to be racing. I, I still think Sebastian getting that start, the same thing would have happened. He's still going to race Charles just as hard. He's still going to get ahead of Lewis. We're going to end up with the same thing. And then, so then we had the virtual safety car, which was actually Gro- wasn't Grosjean's fault no. for the first time. That was Ever? a real safety car, I think, an actual safety <laughs> car. No, I know, yeah, it was not Grosjean's fault. Um, Grosjean got, I, I think, have to stop off. you, though. Hold on, let me stop you, because I don't know if Vettel would have passed Leclerc, because Leclerc did not defend into turn two. He let him through. You, If you go back and watch, he just leaves space on the inside of that turn. You know, he does not, he doesn't take the apex of the turn. He just leaves the door wide open for Seb. Like, he's letting but him through. Every, but everybody knows on this circuit that the car behind has the advantage going into that first straight. So what is he going to do? Wreck, just wreck them both? Like he, I mean, he could defend. He almost, he could, he almost, I mean, he could make Seb have to lift or break. You know, I mean, he yeah, Seb might be faster, but he could at least make Seb... And then lose know, both. 
just to Lewis and then Lewis is leading the race after they like lock up. See, that's the thing though, is that at that point, Lewis was being overtaken by a McLaren. Like yeah, Lewis was start, slow. Great start by the McLaren. Lewis was, that's, he was on the medium tire. Botas had just gotten passed by Norris or something like that. You know, like you just, you're, you're the Ferrari on the soft tire. Just go start and take off into the distance and don't play shenanigans at the front. Like you're all worried about somebody on a medium tire behind you. That's, that's my take. Yeah. You, you don't well, have to I, make this. It's like a complicated, um, it's like running a hook and ladder when all you need to do is just and, run and the ball up well, the middle. And that's what Ferrari seems to keep doing to themselves. They keep getting out coached. They yeah. keep overthinking. They keep uh, doing these crazy strategies, you know, first and, and it ends up coming back and biting on the ass time yeah. and time again. Yeah, and it and it could have worked. Okay, so let's get back to what we were saying. So now back to where we were. So it could have worked, but Seb basically multi well, multi he multi twenty one. Charles, the, the first third, of, the first third of the race was just picture perfect for Ferrari. It was exactly how they how they drew it up, and it wasn't exactly until the multi twenty one and the and the Vettel. Uh, uh, power failure, energy failure, but I still, the whole race, I kept having to go back and go forward and go back because I couldn't understand how they just so easily lost track position like that. It's almost like they gave up track position with their strategy with, with pitting. Well, they did. They intentionally gave up track. You mean the second time they pitted, Charles? I mean, well, I mean the second time they pitted, but also the first time. Like, I... I I don't, I don't know. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to, we're going fast. We're going fast. Let's get back to, I, I've, I'm, I'm desperate to talk about the Vettel refusing to let Charles buy because like, let's like what you said is Vettel's reborn as a racer. Right. And he is, and this is, they're even talking about it during the race. So Vettel gets by Charles and he takes off into the distance and I've got to hand it to, to Sebastian because at that point in the race, he was running a very good race. He was three and a half seconds, four seconds ahead. He was punching a hole into the, into the front of, of, of the, of the pack, you know, and, and, um, he was doing everything he needed to do. Now, granted the strategy had handed that position to him, you know, he didn't take that position on merit, but he was course, doing everything well, he to needed him, to do. On the radio, he said... I would have gotten start, by anyway. Exactly. And yeah. then what was great was when they said, okay, you need to let, you need to let Charles by, and he said he's got to get closer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because it's suicide to slow down to let your teammate pass you when you have the two Mercedes just maybe, maybe, right behind. Maybe. You're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And that's... and. And that's why this whole thing is a major controversy and you have maybe Sebastian's right. Um, but you, you have, and that's another thing too. And this is maybe me getting a little bit ahead of myself now at this point, but man, Lewis had a great race because if, if he hadn't have been able to stay so close to Charles on the medium tires too, I mean, Botas was 10 seconds behind and Lewis was like one and a half seconds behind Charles at this point, like keeping 
the pressure, if he hadn't been able to keep the pressure, maybe they would have just swapped and just finished one, two or something, you know, and not had to worry about undercuts or what any, you know, any of that nonsense. Yeah. Lewis had a great race. But it even, you have to hand it to him. It even just, it even just felt though, like Ferrari had the power and the momentum, the whole third of the race. And as soon as, uh, Charles and Sebastian had both pitted first and Botas had pitted too, but as soon as they were behind Lewis, it just felt like they were behind the eight ball a little bit. Well, and they never yeah. got it back. And part of that is Sebastian's uh, mechanical problems and him not having a supportive teammate and stuff. But like, I still, the way that the Mercedes drove the rest of the race, I still don't see how Ferrari could have came back and overtaken. That's a good point because you have to admit that Mercedes showed they had the pace at the end of the race. I mean, setting fastest laps like Lewis did at the end of the race, it looked like they always had the pace. And, um, and you know, and I think it's because so one Ferrari had that engine problem, um, with Sebastian, but this was Charles's last engine that he can use for the whole season. This engine has to last. Well, unless he wants to take penalties. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't like, and and he kept talking about after the race how he would get close and he and he'd start overheating right. and he'd have to back up, right. cool the tires down, cool the engine right. down, and try to attack again. So it's still right. just, you know, which is why he know. couldn't pass Seb either, you know, because you can only get so close to somebody before your car overheats, and so he yeah. you either have to, especially a Ferrari like that when you're in the same car, you know, you're not just going to catch and overtake, you know, an equal car. You have to get let yeah. by at one, some point, but one big story of this race too is the safety cars, and a lot of people yeah. are starting to like how the safety cars are just—they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing for the right. race. Just right. neutralizing right. the race, just allowing advantages to be had, or whatever. But one thing I thought that I was surprised more people didn't do was after that first safety car in lap two, uh, Kubeka pitted to put on hard to try and go for the length of the race. Right. Yeah. I was I was surprised to not see other midfield teams try to do that to try and try and pit there, get back out on the same lap and just, you know, make a podium or something and try and just go the the whole rest of the race. I think it's because the mediums were so much more durable than people thought. Like you look at Hamilton and his race on the mediums and the whole like we're going target plus 15 and all that how they extended their first stint on the mediums by 15 laps, you know, or something like that. I mean, I think that basically the medium tires were the hard tires today because remember, like we said, like the drinking game in Russia is no low tire deg, you know? I mean, I think there was just especially low tire degradation for some reason and maybe it was the temperature or whatever. I don't know. Well, I was going to say, is that just due to the surface that the track? Yeah. It's just super smooth, super smooth. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, let's be clear, like the safety car handed Hamilton the race because without, because of his pit. yeah, because yeah. without the safety car, he would have come out behind Leclerc. Free, he would have, Leclerc would have undercut stop. him. Yeah. He got a free which, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Which for, which Ferrari could have had if they wouldn't have gone first. Well, but they had to, cause they started on the soft tire. You know, I mean, Hamilton started on the medium tire so he could go longer. So that's the whole. So and that's and then and then you have to say, well, good job, Mercedes, because that's the whole reason you started. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and maybe that's a gamble and you don't you say, well, you know, so you're just gambling on a safety car and you're starting on the medium tires, hoping there's a safety car. That's kind of a cheesy strategy. But, you know, it, it worked out. 
and uh, Ferrari's strategy was a little bit more aggressive. We're going to start on the soft tire and try to build a lead and punch a, or you know, extend a, a gap and then pit into it and un, you know, uh, overcut the Mercedes. But didn't work. But even if the medium was plus fifteen, the soft had to have been plus. Oh sure. Seven. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's they, the question too. Is you know, could they have left Charles out a little longer? Mm-hmm. But you saw. So one thing, one thing, one thing I didn't understand was um, one of the announcers kept saying, which also was interesting, was while the multi two one thing was going on over the yeah, Ferrari yeah, radio yeah. and everything, the announcers were on Seb's side. Yeah, Paul DeResta especially was really supportive of Seb just kind of saying, you know, he should just keep going. He should keep going. You've got a car in front. Just support him and let him go. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I just answered my own question going through it in my head. But th- he then said the fact that Sebastian wasn't able to get his car back in the pits and had to stop on the track, which caused the mm, safety mm-hmm. is what gave the race basically to Mercedes. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the virtual safety car that handed the race to, um, handed but the race so, to Hamilton. Yeah, I like the idea they brought up in the broadcast on how they can't accelerate till they hit the start line. But like, they could do even better than that. Make the guys line up in their order again on the grid. Make them line up at the grid. Make them have their time like a, gaps. Like so a, what what they were when the safety car was at. Like, okay, Lewis goes. Okay, after point nine seconds. You know, um, Botas goes point one nine seconds. Charles. I mean, that would be it might not work as you're thinking about it, but like, there's a lot of things they could do to play with the safety car to fix it because it does seem yeah. to be. It doesn't neutralize the race, the race like you set. said earlier. It adds a whole nother strategic component to the race, which it's not supposed to. But there are defendants of the safety car who say, you know, in that sense, it, and this is just me playing devil's advocate, you know, in that sense, it adds a whole nother uh, potential element of excitement to the race because there's that added strategic component. But I'm not sure I agree with that because, um, well, of course I'm biased, but you know, today I'm looking at a potential victory for my favorite driver and then his teammate has an MGUK failure and that means that his rival wins. That's basically what happened. <clears throat> what happened? <clears throat> Voice crack. You know, that that's it. You know, Charles Leclerc was going to win today except for Sebastian's MGUK failure. <laughs> that that's why Lewis won. Now, now maybe the Mercedes had the pace at the end of the race, but we'll never know because of a Ferrari power unit failure. Yeah. So that's a bummer. And, and speaking of things they could do, I heard one, somebody say, I don't know who it was, but somebody said, you know, they have to slow down by 40%. Like they know how much that 40% is of a lap basic, like the average lap. So just make them sit still for that long in the pit lane before you can touch the car. So like if that 40% or, or no, sorry, they have to go 40% of the speed. So they have to slow down 60% of the, of their lap speed. So, you know, if that's five seconds or eight seconds or whatever, then they, they come to a stop and they have to go one, 1,000, two, you know, blah, 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 five seconds. Then they can do their pit stop. Then they go. 
Yeah. And then, then maybe they're, I mean, then you'd probably see less safety cars too, as a result. I mean, maybe not on, on purpose or as a direct correlation, but just like if a safety car event was more of an issue and was let more of a neutralization of the race, you may see more cautious racing. Yeah, maybe. And that's another question too, is that, and this was a whole, like even borderline conspiracy is like, did Seb pull over on purpose you know, where he pulled over, could he have gone to the pit lane? Cause the pit lane was really close to where he pulled over. Um, if he had made it to the pit lane, there wouldn't have been a safety car. But apparently when your MGUK fails, like I think the car turns into like a giant electric, like it's like the whole thing is, uh, like it could electrocute you or something like it's really dangerous. I don't know. For some reason it's really dangerous. That's what I've heard. And you have to like get out of the car immediately and not touch it or something like that. And um, and that's another that's another thought I had today rewatching the race is like, are we at a point where these F one cars are too complicated? Yeah, man, that's a whole other conversation. But dudes, I think honestly, um, I say make them as sophisticated and complicated and powerful as possible. I don't really I think care I how. Think, I mean, I think I'm interrupting you. Sorry, no, go but ahead. I think go the ahead. Sophistication, I think I think the sophistication and the complication, and everything is to prevent like the arms race with the power and the yeah. danger, the high speeds that we saw before. So I think the reason with all the hybrids and everything is to just put a cap on everything. But like we're seeing, like we could have had such an amazing race. Yeah, yeah, today, yeah. but yeah. we, but it's just lost to like just well, yeah, and Vettel was joking. Power yeah. failure from one of the more like reliable teams. I mean, well, maybe not one of the more reliable right, teams, right, right. but like, I mean, for the good of the sport, I just it just seems like they're maybe getting too complicated. But. I think the engines are more reliable now than ever. In fact, I'm pretty sure they are. I don't know that for certain, but I think that going back eras, you know, in the nineties and eighties and certainly the sixties and seventies and stuff like the engines and the cars in general were much more unreliable than they are now. In fact, like car failure was just like part of the sport. You kind of like almost looked forward to it um, as yeah. part of a race. Can't you know, finish. Like who, yeah. Who's going to not finish, finish first unless you finish. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but I don't even think Seb raced V12, did he? When he was like, bring back the fucking V12. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> did you no. see his little think, quote? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. And, and that's the ironic thing is that, and this is this, I heard this, you know, I don't, I didn't know this firsthand, but I heard this from reading about reactions to his quote is that the V12s blew up all the time. The V12s were yeah. extremely unreliable. Um, but, you know, uh, speaking of whether they're too complicated or not, I think that has a lot to do with cost. I think that has mostly to do with cost, is that if the sport can remain practical and you can have competitive teams and parity, uh, then I say make them as powerful and complicated and sophisticated as possible. I think that Formula One exists to be uh, a place for the fastest cars on the planet. That's what it should be, is the fastest, most powerful race cars on the planet. I, I, I don't like the whole road relevance that the engine should yeah. like be road relevant. But, and that's blah, blah, not, blah. That's not, but that's not what it is, clearly. It's the fastest cars possible under the rules that the FIA puts out. Because you even see those cars can go so much faster when they're just sitting there on those straightaways 
like at 283 kilometers an hour, just like, right. like well, yeah, but now, they could be going. The modern Formula One era has tried to err on the side of road relevance. They've even been transparent about it. They've wanted to make engines that you know, are smaller and more efficient, like V6s, and they're hybrids, and they're less bad for the environment, and um, the technology can be used in road cars and stuff like that. They, they're open about that, because they think that if Formula One isn't practical, and it doesn't have, yeah, relevance to the real world, then it won't survive. And I think I, that's a, this is a major, major, major divide you know this is we're getting at like the heart of one of the biggest problems in formula one now is that can formula one survive without being relevant to the real world and i think it can i think it doesn't need to be i think you have other sports like formula e that can be relevant to the real world and formula one should just be badass cars that go super 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 fast no matter what and and i think the reason it has to have that kind of real world car market relatabilities because the main drivers of f1 are manufacturers of cars right yeah no doubt and and they're selling and they're selling their budgets and stuff to board members and stockholders and stuff like that um and just nowadays like the culture of like our society just doesn't like super wasteful expensive stuff you know and people aren't down for that anymore and it's recharging its batteries exactly yeah a little bit easier to stomach Imagine if they were just these big wasteful V12s that cost $500 million a year to run and were nothing but just gas guzzling things. Anyway, yeah. It just sounded amazing. So before we move on to like news or anything else, I want to go right back to the Mm -hmm. strategy of the race. I like, I don't think it was just Vettel's uh, NGUK failure that forced Mercedes to win is all you talked about how it's like sometimes this can be a boring race and it's just that glorified one stopper, but like right. somehow Ferrari turned it into a two stopper. Yeah, I think because at the end, <laughs> you know, Charles was in second and he was like, "Well, yeah. I'm, I'm either going to finish second. Valuable. Yeah, I mean, he did. They took a risk. He gave up track position to finish third instead of second, um, and that was a risk to put on fresh soft tires or used soft tires. I think. Well, um, no, he could got to use both compact oh no i guess he used the medium he so he went, could go he back went, to right, he I mean, went back yeah, on to right. softs yeah um so that in hindsight i think probably ferrari would admit was a mistake but they're not fighting for a championship at this point or anything like the difference between second and third is not a huge deal i think it was probably i don't know not a huge uh not a huge I mean, loss, it is for their, wise. It is for their driver who, like, for the consecutive weeks, just kind of feels like he's getting thrown under the bus. Yeah, strategy hasn't gone super well for Charles two weeks in a row now. That's for sure. Um, but, dude, speaking of which, I mean, we were talking, we were texting earlier about, like, how he's going to respond to this, which I was saying I'm excited to talk to you about, like, so you're saying is this going to kind of crush him and the whole uh, is for yeah I, I mean I don't remember exact, I exact words but I think it's damaging I think it's damaging his relationship with Ferrari and yeah okay I mean I just feel like he keeps feeling like he's betrayed and he's doing okay. what they tell them to do and uh-huh. they're not 
coming back uh-huh. on the deal, and uh-huh. part of it is they have a rogue warrior, yeah, Vettel, in fashion Vettel, right? Who since he started Four racing, time world done champion, right? The yeah. street fighter, Sebastian. So, yeah. See, right. I I um, don't disagree with you. I think I I think that where our opinions diverge is that he, I think that all of those things are honing Charles's tact. They're sharpening rough, him like a, like a whetstone. He's rough around the edges. He's a he's emotional. He's impulsive. And he's young. He's twenty one. You know. Well, but look. Al- think there's about there's this. Younger guys, you can't. It, you the twenty one's not young in Formula One. You don't. Oh, sure it is. Come on, twenty one is young no matter what you're doing. I mean, but it's it's young in the sense that he's got he could race for fifteen more years. But that's not an, an excuse for his like DNS and his hot headedness and his craziness because there's other drivers that are younger than him. Yeah, but more. I think you're hard on him. I don't know if hot headed and no, crazy. No, I think he'll is. be. I think Charles will. I think Charles will be like that his whole career. I don't think that's going to change. I think that's what makes him a great driver. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we don't disagree about that either. That's what I'm saying is, take that, take that emotion, take that energy. And put it up against a four-time world champion who's willing to do anything to win. Who's going to show you that it takes anything to win. He's going to show you what it takes, man. It takes, when you get team orders to let your teammate buy, you say no. Yeah. I will. I would pay good money to just watch live streams of them in the same room with each yeah. other. Just by themselves, seeing if they talk, what they do. what they cause those super like, awkward. They just stare at their feet. They're co-workers. They're not. I know. They're not. Yeah, they're not they mate. spend time together. Dude, that reminds me. Oh, man. I was watching, yeah, the after qualifying, like the awkward video. Oh, so of, awkward like, in that room. Like, oh, after qualifying. The race. No, no. Awkward after qualifying, like, um. Uh, the footage on the camera when like they've stopped broadcasting, but you can still see the camera is still filming and it's just like right. totally candid. It's really interesting. You get like two or three minutes of just totally candid. It's like, you're standing there with the people and man, it's, it's far out. You're just like, wow, this is what they're like in real life. It's, it's interesting, but yeah, but anyway, my back that's to my, my point, back my to my point. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I think that this experience Charles is having at Ferrari is not going to ultimately be negative for him because it's it's his Hamilton Rosberg lesson. He's learning that it takes whatever it it that it whatever it takes. That's what it's he's learning right now. Is that if you want to be a four time, five time, six time world champion, you have to battle, scrap, scrape, tooth and nail defy team orders you gotta lie to the media you gotta be two-faced you gotta you i mean i'm i'm exaggerating a little bit but you gotta be and do all of those things if you i mean maybe win one world championship if you're not doing those things but if you want to win two three four five you've got to be like they said a street fighter you know and i think that Vettel is showing him that not intentionally but i think he's showing him that well, and to clarify, I don't think it's going to hurt Charles as, as a driver in his career. I think it's just hurting his relationship with Ferrari. And as long as Sebastian's there, like, I don't think he's going to feel comfortable 
at that team. Because Charles has shown when he's at a when he's at one of these top three or four teams, like he thinks he's number one. He's going to act like he's number one, and I don't know. I just don't. I just don't think it's necessarily good for Ferrari. I think they kind of need like a Mercedes situation where yeah, it's a clear one yeah. too, and a guy's willing to give up. You know. Yeah, the other guy. yeah, definitely what they have going on right now is not good for the team. And the question is, how great bad for, for the team is it? Yeah, it's great for the sport. It's great. It's, it's but great. It, but, at, intrigue. But, but, but I would actually argue it kind of is good for the team because these guys are both kind of pushing each other and they're driving clean against each other. And, you know, yeah, I think it is good. But And Vettel has kind of kind of improved over the last, you know, I mean, again, strategy yeah, you has handled got, you, that. You, know. you, eat your, you have to eat your words from uh, no, no, two no. pods I'm, ago. I'm going to hand it to Vettel. Be- no, I mean, he, th- look, aside from the fact that the strategy in Singapore and Russia, the strategy has handled, handed Vettel the lead in both of those races. But aside from that fact, Vettel has done everything he needs to do. He's raced really strongly. In both of those cases, he's looked extremely good. It's, I mean, especially in Russia. In Singapore, too, he looked extremely good. He did exactly what he needed to do in both of those cases. He was prime Vettel, prime Vettel. But, um, yeah, you know, strategy handed it to him. He didn't earn it on merit. In fact, both times he benefited from qualifying third. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like... If he had a qualified first or set, you know, I mean, he's he's getting lucky for he's he's winning because he which shows maybe like pole. well shows maybe he's not quite as comfortable with the car as Charles, right? But like just maybe better like just race experience, better race acumen, I guess you could say sure. that he mm-hmm. can kind of make it up at, on race day, but yeah. Um, Speaking of which, in Charles's uh, Charles' uh, relationship with Ferrari, I uh, like as you were saying, this is going to damage his relationship with Ferrari. I couldn't help but think, man, if they keep giving this kid a fast car like this to drive that he can keep putting on pole, I don't think there's anything that's going to damage his relationship with this team. If he can keep putting that car three or four tenths ahead of Lewis Hamilton's car every weekend. I, yeah. he'll be a happy camper. Everyone is going to be happy. Happy wife, happy life, man. That's your own. Yeah. Or if things fall out, anybody's going to want him. Mercedes is going to want him. McLaren's going to want him. Red Bull would want him. I mean, anybody's oh, yeah. going to want him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Pretty hot commodity. Oh, Speaking of, should we talk about uh, McLaren going back to Mercedes engine? Yeah, sure. I mean, is there anything else to talk about in the race? There other stuff happened in the race too. I mean, but that is kind of a summary of the race. Is it was a race between the top four, the Mercedes and I the have, Ferrari, I, and then nothing else kind of really happened aside from. Well, who was your? How about this? Who was your driver of the day? Man, you know, honestly, I was impressed with Albon. Albon had. I was. He was my driver of the day too. Yeah. Lane to fifth. Yeah, Albin had a really bad weekend, real poor on Friday, re- big wreck on Saturday. Had that, yep, had that spin out. But yeah, pit lane to fifth, man. That's as good as it gets for his, yeah. you know, he wasn't going to get fourth. He wasn't going to get third. Was, I mean, yeah, he. I think he passed eight or nine cars on the road and another four or five in the pit lane and 
Um, you know, that's a good day. Uh, Carlos Sainz, again. Carlos Sainz might be my driver of the year, actually. Best of, best of the rest, six, P6. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else? Man, Lewis Hamilton. Hey. Honestly. Yeah. He had a great, he had a good day. I I mean, again, to, when you look at the difference between Botas and Hamilton, they're in the same car and Hamilton may, was able to keep pace with the Ferraris, keep the pressure on Leclerc all day, and then put in fastest lap after fastest lap at the end of the race. On he, older tires than Botas too. He had a great day. No, Botas had no, older tires. Hamilton again. He got lucky because of the virtual safety car that handed him that handed him the track position at the end, handed him the lead. But uh, he did everything he needed to do and um, was, you know, uh, perfect for for in 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 his situation. He was perfect. So yeah, Hamilton too. I guess I just named three people. You named one. Do you have another? <laughs> Dry. Drivers of the day, podium drivers of the day. Yeah. No, Albon was mine. I just think um, him in that new car, being able to overtake 14, well, I guess not 14 because the DNF, being able to overtake that many drivers on a circuit that's not really known for its overtaking. Right. Um, just good form. I think Horner said during the broadcast he would be happy with P6, the fact that he got P5. Yeah. Um, that's pretty sweet. Matt, I was just pointing Magnuson. Magnuson was hanging fifth and sixth place the whole time and he ended up getting ninth it was kind of funny they were interviewing Guther Steiner and he was they were like so are you be happy with p6 or p7 and he's like I'd be happy with any points at this point yeah <laughs> that's like, sad things are so bad things are so bad at Haas and he's p6 they're just gonna be happy if he could get in the top 10 yeah this was probably Haas's best race of the year actually Magnuson was fighting for points all day Got run yeah, off and the Grosjean, road and got Grosjean, a five-second penalty at one point. Grosjean qualified like seventh would, or eighth, right? I think. Yeah, he would have. He would have been there without uh, without yeah. getting wrecked. Right. So. So they maintained race pace for most of the race, at least, which is something they've been unable to do for the whole year. That's been their bugaboo, basically, is that they've fallen off race pace wise, and so they they were able to do that. Um, yeah. Magnuson got that penalty. I guess this can be our chance to transition into the news. We can talk a little bit more about the race too, obviously. But uh, did you see how Magnuson was like critical of the steward himself? Like Magnuson and Steiner were, they called the steward. I don't even see what the penalty was. Oh, he like when you run off track, you have to go around a bollard, Uh, right, to come back on track, and Magnuson didn't. And his defense was that he was like too out of control and he lost time and he lost position. He lost a position to the car behind him. And so he was saying, because I lost time and because I lost a position, I already was quote unquote penalized, you know? And so I shouldn't also have a five second penalty, especially because my car was like semi out of control, even though that's his defense. It doesn't look like his car was out of control when you're watching it on the replay. It looks like he was plenty in control. But um, anyway, the point is, is that he and Gunter Steiner were, Gunter Steiner were um, 
critical, not just of the decision, but specifically of the steward himself. They were like ad hominem making fun of it, not making fun of him, but critical of him. And they've kind of drawn the ire of the FIA for, for, <laughs> for, uh, calling just the steward like an idiot. And, uh, like, yeah, you can't really do that anyway. So that's one thing Haas is in the news for now is that they're Magnuson himself and Steiner both are, I think they've, they've been like officially reprimanded or something, you know, they like have to meet with the FIA over this. Right. New, like, uh, you can't, you can't insult the stewards over the radio thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So um, otherwise pretty good day for Haas. <laughs> Yeah. I'm excited. It looks like Haas has a crazy, like they're all in on the U S grand prix. I saw when I was buying tickets, like there's a whole package to get the whole Haas, the whole Haas experience, meet the drivers, meet all the behind the scenes, all that sort of stuff. Oh, did you buy it? How much was it? 2000 bucks? Hell no. I think it was like a thousand bucks. Oh yeah. Price, price keeps going. The price keeps going down. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Um, <laughs> the free the free twenty four pack of Rich Energy was crossed out. That's no longer available. Yeah, that's not a thing anymore. We no. should try to buy some Rich Energy on the internet and show <laughs> up with like forty eight cans of Rich Energy and just drink it the whole the whole oh, day. Rich Rich, rich Energy vodka. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other news, like you said already, McLaren Mercedes. That's huge news. I'm excited about that. I like McLaren a lot. I think it's the right move. I'm a big fan of Andreas Seidel, who is the uh, it basically in charge, second second hand behind Zach Brown uh, at uh, McLaren. He's made a lot of good decisions since he's had the, at the helm. He came from the Porsche LMP1 program. They were wildly successful in uh endurance racing under his uh command and uh mclaren basically recruited him away put him in charge and they were like look we aren't doing so well take over and he was like all right i will snap 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 made a bunch of changes and mclaren has only gotten better and better and better and better it's been a pleasure to watch i'm i'm I love that about sports and I love that about just like organizations in general. And I think it's been really cool to see McLaren improve. You know, they, they've gotten better as a team an organization and a car. And now, uh, I think they've made the right decision. Obviously, you know, I don't have any love lost for Renault, but man, I mean, obviously you want a Mercedes lump in the hump. Duh. I mean, it, it just makes sense, too, because they're literally outperforming Renault in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah. And it's like, dude, literally, we are beating you, and we're using your shitty engine. Like, obviously, yeah. you're, you're holding us back yeah. and, and, not, and not the other way around. And also, I mean, in their powerhouse days, it was McLaren Mercedes. So right. as much as I'm a, it's like in a perfect fantasy world, McLaren would be doing a shock announcement that they're going to make their own McLaren power unit because I still think that's the way to go. I can only think of two teams in the last 20 years that have had success to a competitor's like engine, but I understand that that's not really feasible or a possibility. And I, yeah. I at least think it's going to be a trade for them. And I like the McLaren, I, being even, one though of McLaren them. even though McLaren's not like an American team, I almost feel like they're the next closest like team that Americans are going to root for other than Haas. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Zach Brown is American, the team boss, team principal. Yeah, so and he's that. very, he looks, he looks and he acts very American, too. Yeah, he, he is does. like, he is, he is the, we don't want people to think we're like that, but we really are. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. That's cool. That man, that yeah, I'm I'm a McLaren fan, man. I think McLaren is one of the quintessential Formula One teams, and I think, you know, people say stuff like Formula One can't survive without Ferrari, and Ferrari can't survive without Formula One, and they're intrinsically linked and stuff. I almost feel that way about McLaren and Formula One, just because they've always, you know, Cinedro yeah. for McLaren, and the cars are so iconic and i've always you know ever They're since so i've neat. been a fan yeah, yeah i've just associated like, so many of my favorite drivers too like jensen like 27 Button. people that buy a mclaren every year like i almost feel like oh, sure f1 is like half of their company yeah 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 they've just and since you and i have been alive they've been such a dominant force you know they've and plus, I've always just loved McLaren cars. Like the McLaren F1, the car, the road car, was like my original favorite car when I was a kid. I always knew it as like, it's the million-dollar car. It's the car that costs a million dollars, and you sit in the middle of it, and it's the fastest car in the world. And, oh, man, it's made out of carbon fiber, and I don't even know what that means. And, wow, it's like a jet plane. And um, McLaren, there was just something about it that was so foreign and amazing and um yeah they only, they only like make 12 of them or something huh yeah unattainable yeah. yeah exactly and anyway i don't know it's yeah it's mclaren i i'm glad that they're getting better and better that's cool especially if we could have a four-way fight for the championship which i know is a little way off and um It'll be interesting again just to see what McLaren decides to do next year because now you have to wonder what they'll do and how they decide to try to improve their car in 2020 knowing they're going to have a much more powerful engine in 2021. You know, do yeah. they just like try to strap a bunch more downforce on the car in 2020 and just like prepare the car for 2021? Are they going to just keep improving the car with their, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm talking nonsense at this point, but I'm just saying, it was, you know, sounds like, it, it sounds like that's a big story in Formula one, especially when you come up on these years where there's big changes where you'll yeah. have some teams that maybe start to put more resources towards not next year's car, but next, next year's car, right. maybe almost just right. kind of like how a team like trades away their best players to get more draft picks, sure. you know, sure. kind of to rebuild. So, but honestly, I think that's a good sign for the team if they do something like that, just to show that like we're in this for the long haul. Like we're we're not in this like to get some podiums for signs and Norris next year. Like we're in this to like contend for a drivers' championship in twenty twenty one. Yeah, you have to be more excited as a McLaren fan than you are, for example, as a Williams fan who retired their car because they're afraid they won't have enough parts for the end of the season. Yeah, but you know what? You know who's had the fastest pit stop? Yeah, Williams. They the always 60? do. Williams. Yeah. Exactly. Good for them. Great pit stops. Good That's for them. Amazing. Great team behind them. Just They got great cool. pit stops. Whew. The one thing that requires no money. <laughs> 
I guess it requires a little bit of money. You got to have those little meat meat guns. That's it. I mean, I think I don't think Formula One exists without teams like these, though. I think there's always in the every league, every, every league. I think you have you you have teams in the way top, you have teams in the middle. Like you just have to have teams in the bottom. That's just how it goes. Like oh sure, gonna... yeah, all sports but, are like that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's just sad that it's Williams. I think most people are so upset about it because it's Williams, and they're and it seems so like iconic. No, and there's no way to climb out of it. Is what it at least seems like. Well, they now, could so. become a they could become a Mercedes customer team. They could pull a Haas and just start buying parts from Mercedes. I mean, are you familiar with the Haas model? How they basically just buy their parts from Ferrari? Like they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Even the body and everything, it's just all just like... Their chassis, give me, give me. they design their chassis, but it's built by Delara. And then like the rear end of the car, they buy from Ferrari. The suspension, front and rear end suspension, they buy from Ferrari. Like the the engine, they buy from Ferrari. The gearbox, they buy from Ferrari. Like the whole, every, every part that they can legally buy from Ferrari, they buy from Ferrari. Because Gene Haas was like, when he came into the sport, he was like, I don't want to come into the support, the sport and suffer at the back of the grid for 10 years and waste all my money and then just leave. I want to compete. And right. so they base, it's almost kind of like the Astros in baseball, how they were like, we're going to lose on purpose for f- five years so that we can win the World Series. They kind of invented a new model. And Haas came into the sport and said, we're going to look at the rule book and find out every part that we can legally buy from Ferrari. We're just going to do that. And then in our third year, we're going to finish fourth. And they did. We're going to be best of the rest in our third year in the sport, which is remarkable. But, that's unbelievable. But that's, the, but that's the ceiling with a model like that. Maybe. For now. But yeah, it's a tiny team. I mean, they have... 300 employees or something crazy like that. And Mercedes has, you know, 5,000 or something crazy. You know, I mean, but what, but I'm, what I'm, I'm, I'm inventing those numbers, by the way, that don't quote me on that, but it's, it's something like that. You know, their, their employees but, but are what, in the hundreds. But what, but what separates these teams is like when a team comes to a race the next weekend and they have like a piece of downforce or equipment that other teams don't have. And teams that are a customer model, teams like that, I just feel like we'll never have those those new cutting edge technologies, unless they have they're, they're creating all their own stuff. I think you're probably right. I think maybe it's a little chicken or the egg situation because do you not have the piece because you're a customer team, or do you not have are you're or do you not have the piece because you don't have enough money, or you. What am I trying to say? You don't have enough money, so you are a customer team, you know? And so you don't have the piece because... Are you, do you not have the piece because you don't have the money, or do you not have the piece because you're a customer team? Either way, you don't have the piece. You know what I'm saying? Am I making sense at yeah. all? You are. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So small teams have less resources, have fewer resources. The fewer resources, the fewer upgrades you're able to bring on a... But you know what, that's interesting. that brings up an interesting point because then you have a team like Force India who's not called Force India anymore. What are they called? Racing Point. <laughs> um, that has always managed to do a lot with a little bit of money. 
always managed to be real competitive with a little bit of money. So, you know, it's well, possible so, to so, be, and, that's and, why Formula One's so interesting, man, because people can be ingenious. Well, but they know that this is an issue and they know that it's holding them back. So they're trying to play with it. Like you, you've probably heard how they're maybe playing with the idea of doing like a reverse start grid. Oh yeah. I put that in my notes mini, to talk about that. Mini yeah. race. Qualifying yeah. race, reverse grid. Can you imagine that? Lewis and Charles and everybody at the back just having to go through the entire like I in a in a one way I love it, but in another way it just totally negates what all these teams are working for and they do that in a lot of other race uh series. They do that in Formula Two, they do reverse grids in Formula Two, they do it in a lot of other um yeah, series and Lewis and uh, Lewis and Seb both said that it was bull shit, literally. Um, and uh, I think most of the drivers so far have come out saying that it's a bad idea at the qualifying race and the reverse grid. Um, so far, I think that maybe the most intriguing opinion I've heard about it um, came from the Autosport podcast, and I forget who said this, but someone pointed out that drivers, their opinions, who 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 are the people we hear from the most, you know, I don't like this, this is a bad idea, we don't want to do this, da-da-da-da-da, or, you know, the Formula One fans um, who care the most about Formula One, who are the most passionate about Formula One, I don't want to do this, you know, this is a bad idea, that, you know, kind of the Formula One uh, purists represent a really, really small uh, proportion of, of, of opinions. You know, it's a really small yeah, sample and size. Yeah, and, and they the, can easily be wrong. a minority, basically. A passionate minority, exactly. And, and they can easily be wrong about whether this is a good idea or not. For example, when the Hypersoft tire first became a thing, they were all for it. Everybody said, this is going to be great for racing. We love the idea of another soft tire. Give us the super softest tire possible. Bring it on. We want the Hypersoft tire. But then all that happened was everybody just slowed down didn't push, manage the tire, and it spoiled the races, you know? So drivers can Kinda be like wrong. like what we saw last week, yeah. Yeah, drivers, you know, there's 20 of them. It's 20 people, you know, and they can easily be... Uh, anyway, I've said it seven times in, in the last 10 sentences. They can easily be wrong about their opinion, and maybe a reverse grid does spice up racing, I mean, just think of the fact that like when drivers all the time, whenever they're in the back of the grid, they're always like, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm excited about the race tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Yeah. They say it's going to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the only way to do it is to try it out. So I'm all for it. Exactly. Like, try, try it, it out. in Spain, where, which sucks anyways. Well, try it at Russia, where the racing they, is boring, or France, where nothing fun happens. You know, there you go. Three three bad races you got a reverse grid and no one cares because those races are boring and terrible anyway if they're already trying it in formula two and stuff too i think that's probably enough of a amplifies and and you know equal kind of experiment that they could be confident that if it works there it's going to work in formula one 
yeah, it's just less of a risk in Formula 2 because there's less at stake and people care less if it's like, oh, so-and-so won, but it was a reverse grid and who cares and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what else I had on my news because I don't have my notes in front of me. Um, oh, Toro was Rosso is going to... birthday. Oh, yeah. Have... What is he? 14? 22. Yeah. Toro Rosso wants to change their name. Did you see that? No. What do they want to change it to? Dude, Alpha Tori. Do they want to switch? Huh. Is that they're, weird? They're not. Well, they're part of. No, they're Honda engines. Why would they want to be affiliated with Alpha? I don't think it has anything to do with Alpha. The A-L-P-H-A? Yeah, Alpha. Like, like first, first stable. Like first letter of the Greek alphabet, Alpha. Yeah, but doesn't Toro mean stable? Tori, like the star, like T A U R I, Alpha Tori. Interesting. Yeah, all all mushed together into one word, Alpha Tori. Isn't that well? Weird? I'm I'm all. I like keeping the names the same because already commenters and ourselves have enough problems pronouncing yeah. it right. But no they were racing hard against each other. Yeah, race. the Torosos. They were indeed. Uh, Gasly had himself a little bit of a race, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Gasly's kind of reborn too. He just needs to be in a less powerful car. Yeah, here are my notes. Torosa name change. Um, yeah, the reverse grid qualifying races. Uh, Signs was complaining that the midfield doesn't get enough airtime on TV. I I disagree with that. I think it's about 50-50. Pretty much any time that somebody's overtaking somebody or has a chance to overtake, they, they cut and show that. But I'm glad to see Signs is rewatching all the broadcasts. Yeah. They should always watch it. Maybe he's a pot. Maybe he's a fan of the pot. Shout out to Carlos. Carlos. Um, I think maybe more of the problem than whether the midfield gets enough airtime or not is... is um, just the what they're showing at what time you know it'll be an intense moment of the race at the front of the race and they'll be showing the midfield battle or it'll be there'll be a midfield battle going on and they'll be showing botas or something at the front and i so i think that's more of a problem than who they're showing maybe carlos is right i mean that guy knows more about formula one than i do but um for me, it's just the general overall broadcast lacks in. Well, uh, and if it's like if it's like cycling, and I think it is, they have a totally separate company running the broadcast, and they just have commentators in the box reacting to what they see on the screens. So it's not like Monday Night Football, where like they have a producer in their ear, and they're like, "Okay, and sit in." Oh, like, like cut we're gonna to, cut. yeah, so we're gonna cut to the replay of the pass interference challenge. They just, they're just they react to it after they see it. They have mm. no idea, which really hurts the production value. Hmm. But I think, I think that's the only way to do it. Cause I think formula one puts up all the money to broadcast it and sells it to the different networks instead of the networks having their own cameras. There, I could be wrong on that though. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. It wouldn't but surprise yeah. me if I, they're kind of reacting to it, you know, as it, as it switches, it seems that way. 
there's just it's also too it's a very unique event where there's so much going on on different parts of the track at the yeah. same time which is so unique to a sport that you can't capture it all live and you just have to just be good at like i feel like majority of the stuff we see is not live it's always just oh yeah a few seconds after yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well dude any other news or banter or race related? Not really, just two more races, right? They're no, five more Miami. races, bro. Oh, two more races till Austin, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, Japan next. Little uh, another exciting circuit to see if Ferrari will be good. Lots of high speed corners at in Suzuka. Suzuka is an amazing circuit, dude. Maybe, maybe my favorite circuit. I love Suzuka. I get super excited for this track. It is a sexy track, dude. This is an amazing circuit coming up here. It's fun to watch the cars go around in Suzuka. And I know this, I know Red Bull wants to do well, but historically do they perform well here? Um, Suzuka. I know because I know they they both just put new power into their cars. They're trying to get everything. This is their home range, basically. Right. They do want to do well in Suzuka, and they have a better chance of doing well in Suzuka than they do in a place like Austin or Abu Dhabi. Suzuka and Mexico are the two best chances for Red Bull for the rest of and Brazil. Suzuka uh, and Mexico are the two best places left um because of the yeah cornering um it's not a it's not a high uh it's not a long straight type circuit but straight line speed yeah but the corners in suzuka are high big long high speed corners which ferrari has shown to be the fastest through so far later in the season so i don't know man it could be another pull for all chucky lecluck bro <laughs> wouldn't disappoint yeah, I don't know I don't know what the well I'm sure like Schumacher or whoever has the record for polls but I mean he's gotta be up there for getting close to it he's got 10 or 11 polls doesn't he oh you mean in one season yeah oh man I don't know who's got the record for that but I don't think it's Charles at this point I think it's probably <laughs> I mean wouldn't surprise me if it's Lewis that reminds me I took a picture today of something on my snapchat and like I'm I'm not a I'm not a Lewis uh fan, you know. I don't hate Lewis like I guess you do, like you said you did. <laughs> uh but uh I respect Lewis and uh I think he might be the best ever. And I took a picture of this this is a list of just the things that Lewis has accomplished in his career so far in this picture. Most races led. Only driver to win a race in every season he's ever contested. So he's won in every single season he's ever raced in. Most wins as a rookie. Most consecutive points finishes. Most polls. So there you go. And highest percentage of races in the points. And that, that leaves out stuff. That leaves out, like, he just recently broke the record for most number of races led. Well, he's led at least one lap, 143. Yeah. He, he beat Schumacher this week. Yeah. He's, he's also closing in on most one, number of victories. 
He's also had one DNF in the last 62 races. Yeah. Austria last year. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, and then he puts in a performance, and then he just quietly puts in a performance like he did on Sunday. That's like it's kind of a boring race, but he goes out on the medium tires and chases down a Ferrari, stays within DRS range of the Ferrari the whole race, and then... I mean that was an understated great race by a great driver on Sunday. He's very very yeah. good. He's very good. No Lewis I'm not a Lewis lover or anything over here. I'm not Ham Fossey, but uh he's very good. Yeah. Um closing he's very, very good. He's closing in on I don't most like wins him. Ever. I don't I don't like him on the radio. Just for some reason, the way he talks and the way yeah. he... I don't really like Charles on the radio either. Charles always just seems like he's just a step away from a panic attack when he's on Dude, the radio. You know what? Speaking of the way Lewis is on the radio, I think I've cracked his code. This is what Lewis does. This is his, this is his thing. He goes, oh, man, this is going to be really, really hard. What I'm about to do is going to be really hard, man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Oh, man. It's going to be super, super tough. Oh, man, I did it. That was so hard. That was so tough. But it was tough, all you but guys. you know what? I it did it. It was all you guys. We win and lose together, man. But, like, so everything he does. Too, oh, man, like, the Ferraris oh. are super quick. They're super fast. I don't know if I'm going to catch him, man. Oh, I just don't know if I can catch him. Oh, it's going to be so hard. Oh, you know what? I did it. It's because they know it. It's also to its gamesmanship because they know the other teams are listening. They know everybody's listening. It's almost yeah. like. Yeah. They're bluff, they're bluffing over the radio more than they're telling the truth. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I don't know if it's 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 got to be at least partially that because they know that other people are listening. That's true, but I think it is really almost just like Lewis is a very highly like psychological person, you know, and I think that part of him really does think that if he kind of builds up every scenario in his head is like this giant challenge to overcome. That's what he's all about. It's like, man, you knock me down and I get back up, you know? And if like everything is this great, like victory and accomplishment and this like wonderful, I overcame this amazing thing today and it was so hard, but I did it, you know, and I did it and we did it as a team and it was great. Then it's like, that's a, that's like a huge, that that's what he like lives for, you know? So he creates these like dramatic scenarios in his head so that he can like live them, you know. We're gonna need the we're gonna need the Lewis impressions each pod from now on out. Oh man, <laughs> I don't know about these tires, mate. I might go get another nose piercing after this race, mate. These rears are done. These rears are cooked. <laughs> anyway. I've pretty much ran through all my notes. Um, I'm just trying to think. Anything. Bad bad race for oh. Renault. Finished. But, Ricardo didn't finish. Hulkenberg, Hulk. It's awkward that Hulkenberg outraced Ricardo all weekend. That was awkward. Very when... awkward. How Hulkenberg is just, and that might be kind of like guys where they're in like a like. There are certain athletes across all sports that are just kind of like mediocre until they're in like a contract year, or like yeah. they're playing for something and. I didn't follow. I haven't followed Nico as close as you have the last two years, so mm-hmm. I don't know what his like his previous results or anything done. But like, he is way outperforming Daniel since they was announced that he did not have a seat next year. Yeah, 
well, that's only been like one race, but still, yeah, he <laughs> been like two or three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but still he did outperform him this weekend. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, Daniel has done way better than Nico over the course of the season. He's firmly stamped his position as the number one driver on that team qualifying wise pace wise all that race pace wise but uh nico outperformed him this weekend no doubt and uh was i think i forget what happened something unlucky happened to nico during the race and i forget what it was but whatever um uh yeah it's awkward when you're paying daniel so much money and uh nico doesn't have a seat next year yeah well, Nico's not cheap either, and that's part of the reason why he doesn't have a seat next year. I mean, yeah, yeah. He wants he's like not four cheap, times but he's what not Carlton's twenty million dollars a year, or whatever Daniel cost, which I think is twenty million dollars a year. I think, yeah, something like that. So, not too much other news, I guess. I don't know what else. Uh, race wise, kind of boring midfield race. Very boring uh, last 20 laps. Very exciting first half of the race. Like it, The way the race is unfolding, anything could have happened, and then just kind of Lewis took over. The yeah. Mercedes took over. It was just basically you make one or two little slip-ups, and you're done. Yeah, and Charles wasn't able to catch Botas there at the end. That was kind of the story at the end of the race is Charles trying to chase down Botas for second. Um, he never even really got close to, and no. it, he really he had a the only chance he really had, I think, was on that restart after the last safety car, and I think it was actually the way Lewis played it, how he kind of slowed everybody down and then kind of just hit it at that last corner, and Botas went, which I think comes back to why they need to kind of look at the safety car rules. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. This was basically my this was my these were my emotions during the race. This was my this was how the race went for me is okay. Here we go. Yes, yes, yes. Oh God. Sebastian took the lead. Holy crap. Okay. Never mind. It's all going to be fine. Cause they're going to give Leclerc the lead back. Holy shit. Sebastian's not going to refuse. <laughs> Sebastian's going to refuse the lead. This is crazy. What's happening. I can't believe this. Okay, never mind. They're going to just undercut him. It's fine. Whew. Okay, the undercut worked. Leclerc's back in the lead. Everything's right with the world. This is fine. No big deal. Okay, never mind. Safety car. Everything's ruined. I kind of want to turn the race off. And we never touched on this. I think we should. They did swap him back. Yeah, they swapped him back, but because... They swapped him through the pits because Sebastian wouldn't swap. They forced it. You know, they, but they did it. They took of, matters into their own of, hands. Right. But that's kind of what they said on the radio. Like, we'll swap, we'll swap you later on yeah. the race. And then, and yeah. then they kind of said like, well, Sebastian's going to come, has a right to say, well, why didn't you pit me earlier? And they could say, well, you didn't follow our right. orders. <laughs> Yeah, pretty awkward. And now, oh, that reminds me. So now you have to, speaking of like the, we're going full circle now, all the way back to our first discussion of the whole Charles Seb dynamic is you have to wonder how well they get along, right? Like we were saying, whether they trust each other still. Very interesting quote from Charles who said, 
we still trust each other, something along the lines of, we still trust each other, you have to trust each other because it's what's right for the team. Charles is being coached. (laughs) Charles knows what to say. He didn't say, I still trust Seb. Like, period. He said, we still trust each other because we're supposed to, basically. You know, because it's, it's the right thing to do. Which I think speaks volumes to how he really feels. You know, he's like, I still trust him because it's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Not because I actually trust him. <laughs> you know? Right. Because I think, I think that's smart. I think he knows who Sebastian Vettel is, and he knows that he's maybe pretty ruthless, and that's how four-time world champion race drivers are, and maybe they aren't to be trusted in certain situations. And he, it's the situation, it's like he's just looking. The moment Charles walked in, he's like, you're my replacement. Like he's just constantly looking over oh, his yeah. shoulder. Like It's almost Sebastian's role to kind of be playing this villain, you-have-to-take-it-away-from-me. Uh, sort of role. Right. And he's actually able to play it now that he's got a little bit of pace. Now that he's got some, some moxie back. Yeah. Yeah. Sharpening him like a knife, bro. Vettel. <laughs> Vettel is the whetstone. And Charles is the flint. <laughs> Just getting sharper and sharper every week. You just you watch. If you like what you just heard, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. And if you don't like what you just heard, then send us an email to a power unit at gmail.com. That's a power unit at gmail.com. And in fact, you can send us an email even if you did like what you just heard. But when you rate and subscribe, it's good for us. We like it. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy. And that way we can keep doing what we're doing. Either way, keep your eyes on the apex and we'll see you at Suzuki.